welcome to the Ephesians Curriculum Podcast. And I just want to give a special welcome because we're not only having the podcast for core groups this year, we are also welcoming freshmen in for this semester's curriculum. So welcome freshmen, welcome you juniors, you seniors, you sophomores. We are in if you're above that staff, anyone. (laughs) But we are just so excited for this semester. We have the whole ministry going through the same book of the Bible together. And we're just excited for all that will come from that. And this week we have Reese. Hello. Joining us to talk through this section of Ephesians. So last week during your groups, you read through all of it. You read the whole book of Ephesians. The whole shebang. Which you probably heard that and you're like, that's crazy. Why are we doing this? But it really does give us the ability to see the whole book of well, this whole letter from Paul um, within its context, because all the pieces throughout Ephesians are speaking to one another. So now, congratulations, you're aware of the whole letter. So as we go through each segment this semester, you'll be able to recall other parts of the letter and how they are interrelated, which is really exciting. So that's what we did last week. And this week, you're going to focus on Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. So really big to really small passage um, into this week. So Reese, what do we have going on? Yeah, so it's uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Uh, the, The beautiful part about this is that Paul is just kicking off Ephesians with a bunch of just juicy tidbits here. Just Uh everything, one sentence after another, is just a blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually what he calls it. Um, So a fun way to see uh, this passage compared to the rest of the letter is he's kind of laying this foundation for um, what's going to become a whole building of the letter of Ephesians. But he's laying this foundation of what God has done in all of our lives and even not just in our lives right now, but what he's done for our lives before all of creation, like his whole plan, um, plan of salvation all put together. So salvation's a pretty big concept to tackle. And we have this little tiny passage and we have probably a lot to talk about this week. And there are different perceptions or understandings that can come from a passage such as Ephesians 1 through 14. And um, so this week's curriculum could lead to a lot of fruitful discussion or even debate maybe, which could be good um, about um, salvation and, um, Basically, the predestination. Yeah, um, everyone. Ideal. Everyone. Yeah, we'll has just go out there and say predestination. It. So, um, we just want to set you guys up well in that, and just to say that it's okay to have good discussion in your group and to have a differing opinion than the people next to you. Like, if you want to debate it, go for it, but also still leave friends because they are both biblical, orthodox perspectives, and so although you might. F- fall onto a different side of the understanding, that's okay. You're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we can still love one another despite disagreement and how we are understanding the text before us. And so with that said, and that's actually, I just want to set a precedent for the semester. That'll be true for a couple weeks of the yeah. semester. We might have a couple debates in our groups I, this semester. <laughs> I think every week you could find something in the passage yeah. to debate. Yeah. And I think that's such a good thing. This is something that Brie talks about really well um, and that the culture kind of tells us that if we disagree, then we have to hate one another or like be divisive towards one another. But it's totally fine to have good conversation 
that is in disagreement. And it's there's like a healthy way to have that. And that's what we want to practice in our groups. So yeah. that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, we'll see uh, eventually in the letter what Paul has to say with uh, disunity in the church. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, which is funny that we can have these discussions and then Paul's like, unity, which yep. will come in a future yep. week. So um, Derek, whenever prepping staff for this week, talked about some landmarks and some landmines that we can see in this passage, which I thought Anne Reese agreed that was just really good terminology in trying to think about what to focus on or what to think about and or even how to organize group this week. And so those three landmarks we'll start with are Trinity, and then we have union in Christ, and then we have spiritual blessing. And so Reese, which one of those do you want to tackle first? I think I'll go Trinity because that kind of forms the the structure of the passage. So um, if you all are looking at the text or thinking about the text, hopefully you've read it through. Before oh, I did forget to, to say that in the beginning. That well, I'm saying I'm saying it now. Before I talk about Trinity, go read the passage. Yeah, so we're gonna hit pause. If you haven't read it, hit pause. Go pause. read it, and now come back. Now you're back. All right. Okay. So the first line of the text says, "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." So Paul's just kicking it off, and he's saying, "Who's he praising? The Father." And so from that. Um, from that passage, you can see from verse three to the beginning of verse six, when he talks about in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the first little section that has a lot to do with the father. Um, you can all, all of those things have to do with both the son and the Holy spirit. Cause from also the first line, you see that he's talking about the father of Jesus. Um, so a lot of those things is going to be the father in relationship to the son. And then later um, in, uh, in seven, um, he says in him talking about the beloved from the previous verse in him, we have redemption through his blood, through Jesus's blood. And it goes, goes, goes and goes until it says he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So all those things, you're going to see the two landmarks of each section, the father section the sun section and the spirit section. You're going to see them marked out by him saying something about God's will and counsel or pleasure. And also the phrase to the praise of his glorious grace or to the pra- to the praise of his glory, something in that capacity. So you see Paul having this kind of rhythm, this meter to his talk where he says, father does this because he wanted to, to the praise of his grace. Son did this because he wanted to, to the praise of his grace. Spirit did this because he wanted to, to the praise of his grace, praise of his glory. Um, so each of those things, we see this interplay where all three people of the Trinity are distinct persons, yet they're all defined as Lord, which is the Hebrew word for for what we would say God, mm-hmm. the one being yeah. Lord. They're all Lord. So that's... That's what we pull, the the Trinitarian stuff we pull out of this. Um, I think probably the interesting part is that we see a lot of God God the Father as source, as the layer of the foundation. We see the Son as the foundation, and then we see the Holy Spirit as the, the applier of what has been planned and accomplished and sourced and, and is being built. Um, and we're being built into that building. 
um, which is probably a good segue to go into the second landmark of this idea of being in Christ or union with Jesus. We see it all over the letter, but specifically we see it a lot in this first little section. It's in the first verse. So Paul addresses this letter to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So I do want to dispel a little bit of thinking around this. There can be a sense where we read in Christ, we assume that it means because of Christ, that because of our faith in Christ, the faith that we have about Jesus, or because of him that we have all these things. But the Bible doesn't just say that. It says that's true. It says through Jesus and through our faith, all those things. But it also gets very specific and says in Jesus and in him and in us. So there's this basic reality of the gospel that when you're born again and baptized, when you, when you are a baptized individual, however you categorize and think people are brought into the category of baptized, those people are marked out as being in Christ. And the gospel of John, the words of Jesus go so far as to say, we are in Christ because of what he's done, and he is in us because of the Holy Spirit. So it's this beautiful interplay of he and us and we and him, this union with Christ. So I think probably the easiest way to think about this is what's the main metaphor for, uh, for the church? We're called the body of Christ. We are literally part of him, who he is before the Father. Um, so in the same way that his spirit is in us, it, we are in his body. It's the, that's probably the easiest way to see the sharing is spirit and body. Um, yeah. Rachel, do you have any thoughts about that? That, well, that imagery was just so helpful. I've never, um, been given like that distinction of the in and because, and even because I think we say like, oh, I'm in Christ and we just leave it there. But, um, yeah, this looking at it as like the body of Christ and being a part of him. I think that is just like this like sweet intimacy that I don't know if I've ever read that, like understood that from reading this passage, Reese. Yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. So I think um, a good, a good example of that is in verse seven, it starts off in him. So it's talking about Jesus, who's the beloved, the beloved one or the beloved son of the father in him. We have redemption through his blood. It's not just because of what he's done or through him. It's actually in him. Mm-hmm. So this is, for me, this has been an important distinction. Um, I don't even know if core groups are going to go this deep, but um, the really helpful part of this is we, we see that our redemption and our justification by his blood doesn't come beforehand and then we're united to Jesus. We're united to Jesus and through him we receive. Through being united to him, we receive justification which is really, it's relieving because it gives us a weirdly deep theological picture that, that God isn't waiting around for Jesus to make us tolerable. Yeah. And then he does, and then we can hop in. It's God loves us, brings us into Jesus and says, here's all the blessings. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the biggest blessings is redemption and justification because you're in Jesus. Yeah. Um, so we have our landmarks. Yes. And so we have two landmines, at least two that we are going to talk about. Maybe there's some others that you guys can scavenge up. But 
The two that we are identifying are this theology around the already and not yet, which we will explain. And then the second one we mentioned before. Predestination. predestination. So let's tackle the first just so that, you know, we can save the best for last. Yeah. (laughs) So what it is already not yet theology, what does that mean? Yeah. So I think um, the, the, this was sparked by, Page Menifee, our fearless page, bringing up this idea that um, there, if you're looking through the curriculum, CJ put a question in there that says, how can we be more blameless before God? And how can we become more blameless? Page brought up an interesting point that aren't we already blameless because of the blood of Jesus? Um, that's a really interesting point. How does that play out where we were chosen in Jesus to be holy and blameless, yet because of his blood, don't, aren't we forgiven? Aren't we holy and blameless already? I think in the passage, you actually see a very clear picture of this, where in verse 7 it says, it's the same verse, in, in him we have redemption through his blood. So it's something that's true about us. It is our possession. But then also in verse 14, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So there's some interplay here where um, we, have to, we have to figure out, uh, like, what does Paul mean? And so by saying already not yet, there's something spiritually, or if you want to use the fancy uh, philosophical terms, there's something ontologically true about you. That means in your very essence of who you are, you are holy and blameless before God. Yet within your existence, your, your day-to-day life, you're not blameless. You're a, a sinful person, <laughs> a deeply sinful person. I am too. This is yeah. not, um, yeah, um, probably the best example of this. This is going to be really confusing if you've never heard of this before. Hebrews 10, 14, it says, it's talking about Jesus. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's confusing. Um, so are, has Jesus already made us perfect? Are we being made perfect and holy? Is there a distinction between perfect and holy? I think we see those equated enough in scripture to where it's the sense of the, the part of me, like Reese in Christ, this is important talking about union, Reese in Christ is a holy and perfect and blameless person, but me and my existence right now is not Reese in Christ. Mm -hmm. I'm just Reese with Holy Spirit. So there's a sense where um, we might even get into this, into this later, um, but I think the the purpose of salvation isn't so much like talking about like God doesn't have to clean us up. Mm-hmm. He He defines us. He gives us an identity, which is true about us, and yet we have to go through the process of our life making that identity real within our nature within ourselves. Paul says we have to crucify the flesh because mm-hmm. you're not you when you're sinning. I think that's a beautiful part of this, yeah. of this theology. Um, like kind of like Betty White in the Snickers commercials. You're not you when you're hungry. You're also not you when you're sinning. Yeah. You were, you were meant to live in beautiful, holy, loving communion with God always. Yeah. Um, John Wesley puts it that we are working out our salvation. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
which I might continue to pull out Wesley here because that's just my training, and I'm, I he's apologize. Good. He's yeah, good. He's he smart. has. Yeah, he has a very good um, thought process through all of this. So we've got the already not yet, and now the whammy yes. predestination. predestination. So what if for anyone who has never heard that word before? What is like the simple definition? What is predestination? Yeah, Why so is you, it a conversation? Um, within like just me being a spelling nerd, um, here's a little gloat. I won. I got like top three of spelling bee all three years of middle oh, school. I won the spelling bee. So I know words pretty well. That's good. I'm kind of cursed. I'm like, oh, this word is blah, blah, blah. So predestination <laughs> has kind of three parts. There's the pre and then there's the destinate, and then also the ation makes it an action. Um, so pre is the, the prefix meaning before. So we're talking about something before. Destination, destiny, that's an easy one. Mm-hmm. And then ation is this action. So it's describing. Oh, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> did you not? That's did you not good. Know that? Yeah. yeah well, I never break down words like you. I didn't win. That's, I that's okay. never you, won the spelling bee, so. I'll be a nerd for the rest of us. You all don't have to be nerds. It's kind of boring sometimes, but I'm okay with boring. (laughs) So predestination is the action of God that goes beforehand to found our destiny, our ending point. God, um, so that's that's a, a general definition. In the text, it's used in this way. It says, in love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So there's some sense where there's this preceding action of God to determine us, to determine our end. So um, one thing I I do want to stipulate before we get into this, um, I'm going to say always there's no such thing as salvation by way of action or merit or works. You can't be saved by those things. That is just, the Bible is saying, God has to be gracious if we're going to do anything of eternal value. We can do good things, but they don't have an eternal quality unless God is in them. So therefore, that kind of deconstructs this common picture that we have of either predestination or free will. We can't free will our way to God, yet also predestination is in there. So you can't say there's no predestination. It's not predestination or free will. It's that we are predestined, and in some way, we do will to be with God. We do have to legitimately come to faith in him. And just how do those play together? Um, so commonly, um, the way this ends up is that whoever ends up in heaven is, is going to say they're there by the will and guidance of God. And then whoever ends up in hell is going to say they, they were there by their free choice. So ultimately, um, there is the sense where, you know, no one can be saved apart from the grace of God. Yet also, God, um, even most Calvinists wouldn't say God just deliberately sends people to hell for no reason. He is legitimately judging their evil, um, yet in this weird way. So I already, I already dropped the C word, Calvinism. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so um, if anyone's familiar with this debate, they know the two like uh, the two Protestant forms, Calvinism and Arminianism. So those are big words. Yeah. Calvinism is generally more on the side of God's predetermining 
being the entire causal chain that makes us saved. Arminianism has more to do with, we do have a legitimate response and a legitimate reaction. Calvinists would say that too. They just define it very differently. Mm -hmm. Um, The deeper we go into this issue, the more it's going to be like, we got to define our terms. Yeah. Because Rachel and I were talking about this beforehand and I was describing my point of view and she said, oh, that sounds a lot like my point of view. We're just using different words. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of predestination a lot all over the place. Um, So before we, we... really dive in. So I've already denied some things and made some stipulations about um, the basics. Um, I would, I do want to lay out the purpose of salvation, just when God is saving us altogether. Um, and I, I got the Rachel thumbs up on this one. So this is apparently <laughs> a good paragraph for me to read. So the purpose of salvation is that God wants to call us into a lifelong process of becoming truly human people who can spend eternity in intimate communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by uniting us to Jesus and giving us the Spirit to resurrect us back into life with God. The way we grow and are formed into that image is through maximally cooperating and surrendering to the gracious work of God in our lives. Hopefully I read that slow enough to where it made some sense. I tried to pack everything into those those lines. Um, but where this is going to pop up a whole lot in Ephesians is when it uses the words predestined or chosen or different things like that. How does God's predestining and choosing of us play out in our lives? Do we have a response? Is that the thing that just is it? And we have to work out God's predestination in our lives. How does that work? Um, I don't know. Rachel, what are you, what are you, (laughs) I just said so much. Where, where do you think, um, what do you think the, the problem, um, I don't know, in your own wrestling with predestination, where has the actual landmine been where you get into the specifics? Can Whether, you clarify your question another way? Yeah. Um, so like when you think about Calvinism, is there a certain point where you're like, I just can't get behind that? Or if, um, when you think about even people who are more Arminian than you, what, what would you, how would you say, I can't get behind that? Yeah. So I'll start with the Arminian, I guess. I can't get behind. So I feel like when we go too far on the Arminian side, it's our own doing that we are saved. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot get behind a mindset that by any volition or ability of my own, can I have salvation because it is all God and God before me, um, and what he has done. And so it's through that, that I may receive salvation. And so that's kind of like maybe a simple way of saying yeah. my first hang up with the Armenian side. But then if I get too far on the Calvinist side, um, I think free will is a big one that Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I just am very passionate about um, just like how, and it might just be sometimes, like you said, um, how we're defining the term freedom. Um, But just to me, like it's just hard to conceptualize um, a life where we haven't had the freedom to choose in a lot of ways. And this Mm -hmm. also is it the my hang up could be different based on who I'm talking to because there are 
very differing degrees of Calvinism. And so um, that's also a point to be had. Um, But yeah, so I guess free will and also just like understanding concepts of time will also come into play. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) well, if God is sovereign, then how would he not foreknow all these things? But it's like, but what's our concept of time? Mm -hmm. God created time, you know? And so there's just so many hangups. Yeah. But maybe those are the couple that I think of first. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine, um, when I look at the Armenian side, um, I, so I'm in a weird place with this. (laughs) I don't really let myself say I'm Calvinist or Armenian. That's where I, I seek to be. Yeah. But it's not perfect. Or by any means. Yeah, I think um, that probably where I would say I, I stipulate differently. Um, I think I'm, so I'm what you would call uh, a conditionalist. I really love like the the more Catholic or Anglican view of, of predestination. <laughs> um, so I differ a lot with both Calvinists and Arminians. There's a lot of sense where a lot of the Arminian literature is the sense of God working and what's our response. And as much as Calvin would say, there can almost be like this competing idea of the, the, the people who aren't saved are people who, who do assert their will over and against God. And the sense of the, the competition between God's will and our will. And ultimately God's will is going to win through. I think within Arminian literature too, you can see a whole lot where um, God's will is a lot more friendly, but it's still um, a lot of what we do is kind of like we fill in the gaps of God's will. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you would, you would call that idea monergy or monergism. So an interesting thing. We are learning a lot of big words today. This This is so so good. Today's learning day. Luckily, all the stuff you need to know is just in the passage and hitting the, the landmarks. Landmarks are good. <laughs> so I'm just going as deep as I can go to kind of pull apart some of the cogs in the wheel or in the machine here. So one of the biggest things for me is that I don't, I don't think it's God's will and our will, but in this way, they don't even necessarily cooperate. They fit together and permeate each other. So the word for that Synergy. Synergy. Yes. I think um, fundamentally both Arminians and Calvinists believe in a monergistic form of uh, form of salvation. So I think uh, salvation is the synergy, but you have to get really specific with that. It's not just God does half and I do half um, or God is the water and I'm the sponge. It's like uh, all, all I'm doing is consenting to and receiving the grace of God and opening myself up to it. So I think a lot of the picture isn't what's my interplay with God's love, but actually God is loving all people. And I'm, I'm just going to probably spend the rest of my life figuring out the relationship to how is my heart opened to his love? Is it more me? Is it more him? I have a sneaking suspicion. It's both of us working together at different ends of the same, uh, my brain just went to Lady and the Tramp. We're both <laughs> the eating spaghetti. the same end of the spaghetti noodle. That's cute. Kind of, yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of ways in Scripture these two issues pop up of of more of God's God's side versus our side. So God's side, 
a lot of good, there are a lot of verses here where it speaks of God's predestination and sovereignty in our lives. Um, so probably the clearest one is 1 Corinthians 12, 3. It stipulates that it's only by the Holy Spirit that we're able to say Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. which is very important. That's, if you don't believe that that's true, you fundamentally disagree with the Bible. <laughs> you have to believe that's true in order to be a Christian. So uh, other helpful ones are Romans 2, 4. So it says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And Romans 8, 28 through 30 talks about we, we can rely on God's sovereignty so much that he's going to turn all things for good to those who love him. He's so powerful that he can do that. He's so sovereign that he can do that. And also it goes into this pattern of saying those who he foreknew, he predestined. He also called, he also justified, he also glorified to be conformed to the image of Christ, all those things. So the picture you get from all of those is that God is the primary determining agent in my salvation, nothing else. Yet you also get a verse, 1 Timothy 2.4, which is just beautiful. <laughs> so it says, God desires all to be saved, to, to come to, an, to the knowledge of Jesus. Um, so how do we square those two things away that not everyone's saved, yet God desires all to be saved? I think all of this boils down to how do you, de- <laughs> how do you work that out? Um, I think a good, a good balance to, to illustrate where I'm at is Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Um, let me pull that up. I'm pressing <laughs> buttons on my phone. This Love one's so Bible good. It's, it's worth the wait. So it says, So then, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a big exhortation. And then he says, So he says, Continue to work it, work it, work out your salvation for or because it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So who's doing more there or who's actually doing it? God is at work within me, but I'm at, I'm working out my salvation. I don't know the mystery of that interplay, but uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think they work together and it's synergistic way yeah. more than we, than we think. And I don't know how to talk about it in a clear way because it mystifies me so much. And um, I- And I think that's a great place to like end up though, because to say that I know for sure this is the way is almost like a lack of, I don't know, humility in God's like, and like who God is, because I don't know if we are fully capable of fully understanding his salvific plan and how it all is worked out. Um, And so I think it's okay to say like, this is what up to the point that I understand, but up to this, like from there. It's just who God is, and I trust who He is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, here, here's so turning to how am I actually encouraged by predestination? I think for me, the takeaway from Ephesians three through fourteen is that God saw all of human history, decided to be gracious no matter what happened, and it made Him incredibly happy to see how gracious He was going to be to His people. And to all of the entire world. <laughs> I'm going to cry. That's so sweet. Yeah. I think that's, that's the beauty of predestination, no matter yeah. which side or whatever 
angle you view it at, it's that God has always been happy to be gracious to his people. Mm-hmm. And we see that most clearly in the person of Jesus. Um, so we have like a concept, maybe like we have like the, um, what is it? Like those, like that sliding bar that it's like over here on the left, yeah, you have yeah. one side, you got the big you old side yeah. over here, you have the Calvinist side. Um, so is there anything else to like fill in these gaps that we need to know and in going into conversations this week, with our groups? Yeah. I think one important thing is we can, we can make this issue issue so individualized but all of Paul's language in this passage is plural. He's talking about the whole church. He's not even just talking about the Ephesians. He's talking about, he says us and we for a lot of this language. So Paul's saying at the very least, the whole body of Christ is the way it is now because God is at work from, for all eternity. The church is what he wanted to, to, to happen. Um, so there, there's we can make it individualized as much as possible, but at the very least, um, the 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 church as a as an institution was always where God was leading all of human history. So that's that's the basic foundation. Not is it more God or more me? It's the 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 church is predestination should lead us back to church, both yeah. in our minds and in actual practice. Yeah. It should it should make us go to church. That's yeah, that's yeah, good. That's yeah. good because it, we this is just like such a um, unitive like community based faith, um, which is often threatened in our day and age. Um, and so, just gathering together, being together with your groups, coming together for synergy, and like being that light on campus, like we're all carrying this little light, yeah, a big light. You know, the light shines mm-hmm. in the darkness, and w- when we all come together at Synergy, it's this huge bright light on campus. Um, And so just even thinking about this whole letter in those terms of this is a community of faith and we are called to be a community of faith is so beautiful. So beautiful. And I can't wait to talk about unity within it pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, we got a little hint now. I know. Bringing unity to all things in heaven Mm -hmm. and on earth. Which I think is why it's so good to like understand the whole letter because – He like gives little hints everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's great. Um, Well, dang, Reese, thank you so much. Rachel, this This was was so so good. good. Oh, jinx. We need to to have you on more often. I think this was a really helpful roadmap to even um, think about this conversation. And so hopefully you all feel prepared. And if you don't, just send emails to who should we throw out there? Yeah. If you have any questions, <laughs> send them to Reese at UKCSF.org. <laughs> yeah. Please. He'll I would love totally to answer talk your to you about it. Yes. This is, yeah, this is your bread and butter. You're more of like a, are you more of a theolo- theology kind of person? Yes. Also, just to stipulate, my name is spelled R-E-E-S yeah. at UKCSF. Good. So right. I'm just awesome. di- I'm dying for questions. This is like my favorite thing. <laughs> so email him. Yeah, That's email so good. me. You can email me too, but Reese yeah, will Rachel. be better than me. I'm more of like the biblical study side. Yeah. Derek's so. good. He's yes. a doctor after all, Dr. King. Yes. He also would be a great person to talk to. So we want to hear your questions, but also um, have a great time at week this week. We are also setting up, I just wanted to throw this out there. We are setting up a resources page for the Ephesians um, semester. Nice. And so you can go to ukcsf.org backslash 
support group. And we'll have videos about Ephesians and some cultural context for some of the weeks on there. So that might also be a helpful resource. So bye, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Grace and peace.